Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Jason McCallum. Uh, today, we got a nice busy episode breaking down round two as we're recording this 10 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, the Rangers currently have a 3 nothing lead on the Hurricanes in the second intermission, so we're going to be keeping an eye on that game as we record, and uh, we'll, we'll probably save it till the end um, just in case a heroic comeback does end up happening, so it's not just 10 minutes of us... Uh, talking about how uh, where the where the canes go from here and they're actually playing another round or anything but um the so far right now where we're sitting right uh, as it currently stands it looks like it might be wrapped up um but let's start with the other series and we can stay in the east the one that uh, ended first and and really surprisingly i would say i don't think anyone if you asked most people i don't think too many people said would say they saw tampa in four um, but the Tampa Bay Lightning sweep the Florida Panthers and in a series that, let's be honest, probably shouldn't have been a sweep. It, there was a lot of, like, they were all close games, basically. Even the first one, I think, ended up 4-1, but um, it wasn't until the end that it got out of hand. So um, it wasn't probably deserving of a sweep, but it ends up being a sweep, and the Tampa Bay Lightning keep on rolling. Yeah, this was kind of nuts. It is definitely as one of those people hate sentences like this, but it is true. It definitely didn't deserve to be that. In fact, it was this like a 50-50 series almost? Yeah, I mean, like, I'm just looking back at the games now. So the first game was 4-1, and, like, the Lightning scored near the end of that to make it 4-1, even 3-1, I think, because there was um, – they stood the, the third goal, people thought they challenged and thought it was going to be goal interference, and it didn't end up being. Um, and then, yeah, 2-1, uh, the, the game two ended 2-1, and that was when Tampa scored with the second left in the game. Uh, game yeah. at, game three ended 5-1, and, like, I'm pretty sure that one had a bunch, a couple empty netters as well, and just got uh, out, out of hand at the end. And then the final game was 2-0, and it was right down to the wire as well, where the Panthers literally outshot the Lightning. It was like the final shots ended up 49-25 to for the Panthers. And the Lightning scored with six six minutes into the third and then had an empty netter. So it, it was a one-nothing game. Like the Panthers didn't deserve a sweep here, but um yeah, like I'd say it was a 50-50, and it's the Lightning star talent, and they did it with this without Braden Point. Uh and their star talent comes through. Yep, and that's the joys of having having that star talent, especially when your goalie's gonna play like Vasilevsky did. Yeah, I mean, how often do we talk about uh, in the in the Leafs series there where it's like, oh, Vasilevsky hasn't looked like himself. And no, playoff Vasilevsky is back because he looked a, just unbeatable through four games uh, against the Panthers there. Yeah, it's pretty tough for Florida that, like, I think the Leafs do deserve credit, at least some, but also nobody's true talent against Vasilevsky is like him being a 900 goalie or whatever. And then Florida just gets absolutely shafted with the complete other end of that. And it just looks awful. Yeah, exactly. Like literally Florida took, I'm just doing the math here in the final two games of the series alone, they took 84 shots on them and scored one goal. Yeah. That's insane. So like, you're not, I remember Feels like a bit ago, but I remember watching every game being like, either this is close or Florida's been the better team. Yeah, exactly. Like, literally, they uh, they outshot them every game. Like, game two was 36 to 28 for Florida, and Florida scored one. So we're now up to um, 120 shots in the final three games and two goals. That's so stupid. <laughs> and um, 
they put 36 shot or 34 shot. They have got a shot in game 136 to 34. Um, so they put up a total of 154 shots and scored three goals. <laughs> so like you're, he literally was a 981 goaltender through four games. You're not, you're not beating that. Yeah. Like there's, yeah, there's absolutely nothing you can do. And Florida was like the best offensive team in the league this year. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, you know, I, I haven't really heard the narrative. I'm sure it might come in the summer, but I haven't really heard the narrative of like, Oh, see, you can't play running gun hockey. That's what happens. Like, I think a lot of people, even if they want to push an agenda, kind of realize like, yeah, this was just a team running against a 980 goalie. And it does help that like Tampa's an offensive team them, themselves too, right? Like they play a very structured game, yeah. but it's not like they can't run and gun when they want to. Yeah, exactly. Without point and against Florida, they probably don't want to, but at their best, Tampa is more than capable of running and gunning. And they're probably like a top two or three team in the league at it, to be honest. Yeah, it's not like this was like the New York Islanders from the past couple of years where it's like they're literally just need to win every game 2-1. And um, yeah, like I honestly like Florida deserved a much better outcome at the very least. They deserve to go six or seven. And, you know, like it kind of it's it's hard to say you deserve a win when you got swept, but you just they definitely did not deserve this. Yeah, that was tough. It was, it was sad to watch. I mean, now that the Leafs are out, I don't really care who wins in the Atlantic. <laughs> Florida was kind of a cool story and they were all in or whatever. It I felt bad for the fans that it went out so dramatically. Yeah, down goes Brown had this where it was like he was doing the easiest shooter uh, team to like root for if you just exclude like if you take away all rivalries, it was like Florida was absolutely the easiest team that everyone should bandwagon for. They hadn't won a series since 96. Um, they're a fun run and gun hockey team. They have the old guy and Joe Thornton that you really want to see win a cup. It's like a Generally speaking, a bunch of likable players, you know, Aaron Eckblad was back on his revenge tour after getting hurt again, right? Like, uh, it just, it had all the makings of like a, a team you want to root for. And yeah, the fact that they just got swept in round two sucks. And it sucks too, because like, there's so much animosity between these two teams that like, I was expecting this to be a series that goes seven and, and had, you know, a lot of back and forth play, much like the Tampa and Toronto series did. Well, yeah, that was the other sad part about this series ending is this could have been, a, especially the way, was it last year where it just started absolutely electric? Like this mm-hmm. could have been a classic series, like an all-timer, because Florida's even better than they were last year. And then the series ended up being way, way worse. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, you got to kind of look where Florida goes from here. I mean, they're going to just run it back with this core. Um, and it's a very good core to be running it back from, you know, and they have a lot of these guys locked in basically for, I mean, Huberto and Hornquist are up this coming year. Uh, and so is Uyghur and Gudis. Um, like, so then not this off season, but next. So this coming year, they will basically be running it back with everyone, but like no, the Nolachari, obviously Giroux will probably be watching, but then Mason Marchment's uh, their big one. Um, yeah. He'll be their meaningful loss. Yeah. And, and like, that's, they, that's fine. They might be able to keep it. Like they have four million cap space, but they have a lot of on the edge. Like they need, they're going to need to sign a bunch of guys for like one mil. So I, it'll de- yeah. depend if they want to try and keep Marchman at like a three point, if they even can for like a year at like a three point something, or if they want to split that up with contract them. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't know, maybe he would take something like that, or if they want to take that money and say, let's go give a bunch of guys $1.2 million instead that, you know, are maybe like veterans that are going to help the team around the edges. 
Um, but they're definitely going to be running it back. And this is a good core to be running it back with. And then next off season will be the really interesting one. Cause one would assume Uyghur will be gone. Gudis will probably be gone. Um, like that, their money will go to a Huberto extension and then they'll have 5.3 to work with of Hornquist money probably to figure out what they want to do from there. But um, yeah, like this, they're going to be a good team again next year. I, I don't think there's, there should be no surprise about that. Right. Like. Yeah. hundred percent. They, they should be fantastic and they should basically be doing, and I think they will just everything to be all in because like, it's going to get difficult, but it's not difficult yet for them. Yeah, what I'm going to be really curious to see is how they approach, like if they're in a similar spot that they were this year, how do they approach next year's deadline? Because they already with no traded. Picks. Yeah, they, they traded away this year's first, this year's second. So obviously that won't matter when you get to next year, but they've already traded away next year's first and third and the following year's first and second. So like, yeah, that's going to be tough there's not really a Giroux trade that I don't think they're going to be able to make unless it's like a specific thing where some guy who's up next year is like, no, I only want to go to Florida, but. Yeah, that was a pretty lucky scenario. And also they shot themselves in the foot. Like I get their defenseman factory, but every, and everybody just defers to teams whenever they have a really good position of group like this, but they didn't just magically make sure I good. Yeah, that's the thing, right? And like, like even I'm pretty sure they traded away. Was it a third for Brandon Montour? It's just like, if you're that good, maybe it was a second. Even it's like if you're that good at um, making defensemen good, you probably don't need to be giving up premium assets for guys that are already considered good, even though they might not be. Taking taking players, even if they're undervalued, and paying them their market rate isn't analytics. Yeah, like classic uh, saying, like, well, like, I they, like, I'm just look, their 2024 second round pick, they don't have it because they used it to get rid of Anton Trollman. And it's just like, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's like, I get Strollman's not what he was before, but like, are you really telling me you're better off with spending a like the opportunity cost of what you spent on Sherratt and to get rid of Strollman is actually better than just taking Strollman's cap hit for one more year? Because I don't think yeah, so. Like, I'd rather play Strowman on his offside and have that pick plus keep the Sherrod pick than have Ben Sherrod. Yeah, like so that that'll be the interesting thing, and that's obviously very far down the road. But um, yeah, I, I think definitely there. It kind of felt like people were like, "Oh, this is their year. This was their only year." It's like this was their best chance for sure. But this team is going to be really good again next year, and it's like hockey's so random where it's like if they had a 2018 Caps run in them randomly next year, that shouldn't shock anyone. Yeah, because the, the stars are there. The stars are locked in as long as they get lucky with some help. But that's true of everyone. So, yeah. So, um, then yeah, you got Tampa, who's uh, nice and rested, and that's probably good for them because I I would assume I don't know if we'll see Point again in the play. It kind of looked like he needed surgery, but if he was to return, having a full week and a half off with this other series going to Game Seven is probably the best way to have it. But. Uh, We'll jump over. There's 17 minutes left now in the Rangers game. So we'll jump over to the West and then we'll come back and preview the East. But uh, in the West, we had um, another pretty surprising series, a, a quick series, not in four, but the Edmonton Oilers beat the Calgary Flames in five. And uh, again, like if you would have told me this game went five, I'd be like, there's no way. Like, and then you told me Edmonton was the one who won it. I would just be like, wow, like that is surprising to me. Um, 
if you told me that Jacob Markstrom turned into an absolute pumpkin for five games, I was like, I guess that's not as surprising considering the only game they won, they won nine, six, but um, yeah, Edmonton is off to the conference finals for the first time since 06. Yeah. Which is insane. And not only that, like they kind of beat up on Calgary. Like Markstrom's numbers aren't nearly as bad as you would think if you just saw the box scores, like his adjusted numbers, because the flames just got fucking shelled. Yeah, that McDavid uh, Dreisaitl Kane line is like, Dreisaitl is clearly hurt, but he's, you know, gutting through the injury and still looks really good. And, you know, obviously I'm not going to hand it to Ken Holland in any means for going to get Evander Kane, but on ice, Evander Kane has been absolutely what they've been looking for for the past five years, really, for to plug in with McDavid there. And and they were unstoppable. And then after they got off the ice, Zach Hyman and, you know, that R&H line really stepped up as well. And that's where, you know, the early turnarounds of paying Zach Hyman is showing up for them. Still doesn't mean that contract might be good in the long term, but it's what we were saying all along where it's like, if you're going to pay Zach Hyman this money, at least do what you need to do with him and let him run his own line, which they did not let him do it all this year. And now they're finally seeing the benefits of that. Yeah. And it's worked really well. And also this is the series just kind of like a fun reminder of like, we talk a lot about depth and it is way more important than hockey and other sports. But like when Connor McDavid is going, you simply cannot stop a player like that. This is like, the only time I've seen this in the last little while is 2017 Carlson. And this is even more impressive to me than 2017 Carlson right now. 2017 Carlson yeah. was insane because like, I mean, that run was incredible, but like Mike Hoffman had some moments as well. And even like Derek Broussard and Craig Anderson stood on his head. Um, and, you know, like Carlson was the backbone of that, but like this McDavid is just every night, just willing this team to a win. Yeah. Like, so for those who didn't see Dom's article on it, Dom had McDavid as a 10-win player so far in these playoffs, which for context, I don't know what the exact numbers will be, but I can pretty much guarantee you Matthew's number for projections for next season will start with a five. Yeah, exactly. And like like you're getting two X of regular season Matthews basically out of one guy. That's insane. Yeah, in what's he played, like 12 games right now. So on pace, even if he went to the finals for like, no more than 24, basically. Oh, no, that was paced over the season. Okay, oh, okay, okay. That would make yeah. more sense. Yeah, like Matthews is going to be like, say, a 5.5 win player yeah. next year, and McDavid's been like a 10-point whatever over the – if you prorated his playoffs to a year. Yeah. Um, the other side of things, we're getting the narrative of, see, Ken Holland's actually a genius for keeping Mike Smith. I have never seen a worse 927 save percentage in the playoffs in my life. This dude was – actively trying to lose this team games and he couldn't do it. Um, so I don't want to hear anything about how smart Ken Holland is because they are winning in spite of Mike Smith right now, not because of him. Yeah. It's been kind of funny listening to the Ken Holland. Like it's going to get especially bad if they make the cup finals, obviously, because people can't get over the fact that good teams make mistakes too. But yeah, like I'm of the idea that most people can't I test bullies, but oh my God, is Mike Smith the most infuriating bully to watch in the league? It's just like, you don't need to eye Smith, eye test. And like, he's been, he has been fine during these playoffs or whatever, but it's like, 
he's at a five goals saved above average through 12 games. It's like, that is good. But like a lot of it's been like when there's no pressure on him, you know, and like, obviously you need to make some of the saves because if you don't do like, um, um, he's fifth in goal saved above average and fourth in goal saved above expected for all goalies in the playoffs right now. And like, it's like, sure. But also if your team's spotting you four goal leads in the series, it's like, yeah, I would hope you're making a bunch of the saves that you need to be making. Right. Like, yeah. Like if Connor McDavid is scoring at three points a game, it makes your life a lot easier. Yeah. And it's just like, even if you're not a huge eye test guy, anyone who's watching the game should know a goal shouldn't go in from the opposite side of the other team's blue line. Yep. <laughs> I laughed. Money fucks like XG model people were mad at because it kind of broke the model. And they were like, shots from this area of the ice, they flipped the coordinates because it's more likely that the scorekeeper screwed up than somebody actually took a shot from there. <laughs> and it went in. Uh, yeah, well, because I'd imagine even too, right? Like, the amount of times people do just randomly take a shot and it gets counted as a shot from that distance is probably like how many times has someone actually shot from behind the blue line? It probably just wouldn't even get counted as a shot if it kind of like goes towards the net because people would be like, ah, that's they weren't attempting that. Yeah. Whatever, right. They'd just be like, oh, it was probably an ice, not a shot. And they just, let yeah, it go or whatever. Whereas, like, because um, if they think, counted stuff like that, Corsi probably wouldn't be all that predictive. Exactly. Well, and like, I'm trying to think, uh, who's the Maple Leaf goalie? Was it Reimer that went in? Toskala? No, the Coyotes. It was three or four years ago. It wasn't as bad as the Toskala one, but it was an OEL shot. I don't know why. It was a random Tuesday night game that I was watching. I remember it stuck out. Uh, The Leafs had a lead going into the third, and OEL just took a floater from his own blue line and went in. But, um, like, that's the kind of shot. That would be the only kind of shots that I would imagine get recorded from there. So it would be like – yeah. I would assume if you're making a model and you see a shot where it's like 30% of the time it goes in, if you're just doing that analytically and not thinking about it, it'd be like, oh, this means if you shoot from there, it has a high chance of going in, right? But that's yeah. obviously not how it works. Yeah, exactly. It's a fun way you can get like mixed up if you just go off of, uh, you don't put any thought into it. Exactly. But um, it's like shots yeah. from behind the net are really likely to go into XG models too because they're usually just scoring chances that they screw up the exact location on because they're not that precise. Yeah, 100%. Um, Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any more to say about this series. Um, The Flame Stars really just did not show up. Uh, Yeah, that was tough to watch. Like sad, too. Oh, yeah, and they were so good all year. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't really know where they go from here. Like, well, that's the other thing. They are not – they're in the spot that people think Florida is in. Yeah, like they either need to – and they have a ton of money to re-sign people, but it's like they have Kachuk, Goudreau, uh, Mangiapani, uh, Kylington is up as well. Uh and that's that's their big four, but like that's a big four. And uh, Monahan is one more at six point three, which I'm sure they'd be trying to get rid of if anything. But yeah, like that's a big four, especially a big three up front, right? Like that's probably arguably what three of their best four forwards now, maybe even their top three, depending where you put like um, Tofoli versus Mangiapani. Yeah, Tofoli and Lindholm would be the two you could argue there. And the other thing, like 
I don't think a lot of people are ready for this to Chuck contract because it kind of went under the radar. Even I didn't quite notice it. He was a hundred point player. Like this could be a $10 million contract. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like you have to assume, and obviously Brady got paid more because of, you know, Ottawa wanted to prove that they can keep their young guys and he's the leader of that team. But you have to assume Matthew Kachuk is going, look, Brady got was a 8.3. I think I'm better than him. I've been better than him and I've already taken a bridge contract. I'm trying to get paid. Yeah. And like the Chuck has everything going for him. Huge pedigree out of junior. He plays this tough, like gritty style, hundred point season, 40 goals last year. Like, yeah, like people should be very prepared for this to be a $10 million contract. Even if it comes in at a little less, that should not be unrealistic. You were low compared to the projection too. Actually, what is what's happening? Evolving Hockey has their projected term is uh, the most likely if he stays with Calgary is eight by eleven point two. Yeah, and that makes sense over eight years. Yep, because that's just going to jack the AAV up because then you're buying UFA years and stuff like that too. Yeah, if you switch it to where he would walk, it goes to seven by ten point five, which is kind of interesting. It goes a little lower actually, but. Yeah, but I guess, I guess yeah, not. So, you're, you're buying less years up as a twenty because he's an RFA. Like how how often do you actually see twenty uh, RFA's go different, right? So um, yeah, and you're still buying valuable years too. Like you're getting yeah. that thirty-one year old season or whatever, which is still worth a ton. Yeah, like I, I would Especially assume Kachuk's ask will be in the ten, maybe even it'll probably start in the eleven. You know, you, like you always start real high, but you starts by twelve by eight. Yep, and Gaudreau might end as a ten million dollar player too. I don't know if it'll be with Calgary, but that's yeah, that, where his that, ask has got to be around. I bet you he'll be asking for, yeah, he's a seven by 10.8 on the open market because I have UFA different um, right now. Yeah. If it's, he'll, if it's, uh, if he stayed the same, it'd be eight by 11.6. Yeah, that so, makes sense. And he's going to want the Panarin contract with modern money, which won't be too much different, but he might even have a case for more as well. Yeah, like I think he probably, if he goes hits the open market, he's probably what asked by seven by ten, maybe ten point five. Yeah, like maybe, yeah, maybe, I'm maybe sure he can ask for eleven point six, but I I don't know what the market would be like. Like it kind of feels like if he did hit the open market, Philly, like Philly doesn't make my the rumors always he's wanting to return to like the Philly New Jersey area, so like the Devils maybe are a fit. Um, Philly. I just don't see where this could be a cool fit, especially if they go center in the draft this year. Yeah. Um, I just don't see Philly as a fit with like their um, rebuild status. Yeah. Well, Philly's like the classic everybody's pegging every UFA to them. And it's going to be dumb for Philly in every case, but I'd just be so NHL that they're going to go for one of them. Yeah. I, I think. Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if both of them returned to Calgary. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not too plugged into the situation, but it seems like a good spot for them. Especially after this year. Um, it's Yeah, like having, this year didn't go so well. Yeah, like they would have been, they would have been at the deadline if they were even like a fringe team, I think, this year, right? Like, yeah. Like, at least uh, Goudreau would have been if they didn't think they could sign Kachuk. You'd be keeping because he's not a fan, but obviously, yeah. yeah. Because like I don't know if I were them, if it ain't broke, I don't know how much well, they like living in Calgary and stuff. But like, as from purely a hockey perspective, 
things are they're in like the best spot because they and know it works there. The other thing too is like this team is going to be good as long as they're good. So, yeah, like, yeah, I would assume it's going to live and die with them. And it's not like their cap. Even if these guys get significant raises, it's not like their cap situation is dire. Like Lucic's contract, it'll be a little tight for this upcoming year if they sign. Say, let's say they both sign. I don't know. Let's say Goudreau goes for 10.5. They both just signed 10.5. They take like the Kane and Taves deals, right? Um, So there's $21 million. So that means they have 5.9 left over. I would assume a good chunk of that goes to Mangia Payne. And then you just kind of fill out your roster around the edges with rookies and stuff. And from what I understand, they do have a bunch of solid prospects in the minors. Uh, Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, plus somebody's getting either a second or a first or maybe even a depth pick. I don't know how high the league on him is. And they're taking the Sean Monaghan contract this summer. Well, that and, is a and move you can see coming from a mile away. That's what I was going to say. Even if they don't make that move, he's up after this summer. So if you can get past this year, you have 6.3 of Monaghan coming off the books and 5.25 of Lucic coming off the books. That means you can reload your depth again in two years' time. So – yeah. You- it depends what they do. Obviously, you don't want to waste a year or anything. But if you take this year and you say, okay, we got the new contracts. We're going to bring in some rookies. Like they have Jacob uh, Peltier, Connor Zari. Um, I think they even have some guys on the blue line as well that are pretty good. Um, uh, and in that, even they have Dustin Wolf at 21. He probably won't be up for a number, a couple of years yet with the Markstrom contract. But um, yeah, like you bring in a couple of rookies to help fill in the edge and see how they do. Um then in, in a year's time, like this team isn't in horrible position, right? They just got to be careful with who they're paying because, you know, like that's when that Blake Coleman contract will probably start kicking yep. into a lot worse where it's like, oh, we probably don't need to be paying 4.9 for Blake Coleman, right? Yeah. And the, the big problems will be in the, the next wave. Like they, there won't be a Blake Coleman contract for the next wave of this team. Mm-hmm. Like that kind yeah, of like, spending is done. Yes, you would hope, anyways. Yeah, but, and like uh, the next wave will be signing Lindholm is going to suck, and replacing Backlund and stuff like that. But they, well, they it, should be able to weather the storm for now. Yeah, and that's like once you get to that point too, it's like, well, how many twenty-nine-year-olds do we want to resign? Because, and, and I mean, this is yeah. way down the road, anyways. But when Lindholm's up, he'll be twenty-nine. Um, and Gia Payne will be 28. Kachuk will be 26. Goudreau will be 30. Like, it's, you know, that'll be an old team. But, and you know, Totoli will be 32. But anyways, yeah, like heading into the summer, it's going to be interesting. Kachuk, I feel like, will absolutely be back. Goudreau, I'm going to lean, like, probably, but it wouldn't shock me if he at least tested free agency, if not went somewhere else. Yeah, if I had to guess, I'd put it out of a coin flip. Out of curiosity, this would be maybe a clever little way to estimate this. What does the evolving hockey model have the percent chance of him signing an eight-year term at? Because I bet you that's almost perfect to the percent chance of him returning. 45 for both of them. Okay, so about a coin flip, then they have it at two for yeah. Which feels, yeah, like I, that's what I guess more or less. That feels right. Yeah, well, and, and the only reason Kachuk is 45 is because uh, five-year term is 23, which I'm assuming they're looking as he takes another bridge deal to get him to UFA where he's 29 and then cashes. Yeah, and then he's he can 29. get repaid. 
yeah, yeah. that would make sense. And then Goudreau will just be eight if he stays, seven if he goes. Yeah, because right now I have him if he stays. It's 45-year, eight-year term, 18, seven-year term, six, seven, or 17% six-year term, 13% five, and then it goes three, two, one, one for the rest. Yeah, yeah. So, but, yeah, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, definitely a disappointing way to end their season. You know, this is a really good team that uh, I think, frankly, did just underperform for five games. and And some of it, too, is just like, Connor McDavid was not going to be stopped. Like, it doesn't matter what you threw at that guy. He was just not going to be stopped. Yeah, the way he played in this series, I don't think there's a team in the league that was stopping him. No, and so that'll be interesting when we get to the uh, third round series. But uh, we're going to look at the Blues versus Avalanche first. And um, this was a pretty good series overall. I, it, it was always one that didn't really feel like it was in danger. Um, yeah. Like, if if the Blues would have managed to sneak out of game six, it obviously like, anything can happen in the game seven. But, like, the Avs win game one in overtime, in which, if I remember correctly, they just peppered the net with shots. Um, yeah, they had 54 shots on Jordan Bennington in game one. The shots were 54-25. Um, lose game two, uh five to four in overtime in another game where like, I didn't think they played that bad. Like they took 34 shots on who so uh, and gave up 30, you know, Kemper looked horrible this series. We're going to have to get to that. Um, and then game uh, game. Sorry. Game two is when the Bennington was it game one or game two. It was game two when the Bennington thing happened, I think. Right. Two. two. Yeah. Cause then yeah. Game three, um, Colorado and, Game three is the Nazem Kadri show where Kadri sh- scores a hat trick. No, wait, hold on. Now I'm now I'm getting myself confused. I apologize. Um, it was game four with the hat trick, right? Yes, game four was the hat trick. Sorry. Uh, game three was he had a he did have a goal and assist in game three, but again they third the shots were thirty one for St Louis and uh, oh sorry so game three was the the incident then. Um, and 26 for Colorado. Yeah. Cause Bennington, yeah. Bennington had three shots and then Huso came in for 23. Um, yeah. And then game four, Kadri, obviously after, well, after, we'll get into what happened there. Um, Kadri has the game of his life though. And it was awesome to see game five, the blue sneak out an overtime win, which they did not ever deserve to win. That looked like it should have been Colorado's game. And Darcy Kemper said, here, let's go play another one. Uh, and then, Game uh, game six, like again, like it never. The Blues were up too, and like it just, it never really felt that in danger, which is the weirdest thing. But Colorado scores with like under a minute left, basically. Kemper posts uh, a nine hundred save percentage in that game as well. Um, Huso played amazing, and Bennington when he was healthy as well. Uh, I get. Let's start with the Cadre stuff. You know. Um, it was the talking point of the series, rightfully so. Um, if he somehow missed it, uh, obviously Kadri took out Bennington in game three. In uh, what was your opinion? I thought it was accidental. Like I didn't think he meant to run like run over Bennington or anything like that. No, I thought I. I think there's almost no way he did it on purpose. I saw. I think the best way I saw described is like he was going in hard and kind of knew that contact was probably a possibility, but like you would never tell an NHL player to back off because of that. Right. So like, 
Why would that yeah. be any different here? It's not like he was going in being like that. I'm going to try and hurt this guy. It's like, I'm going for the puck. And if contact happens, contact happens. But like, he also wasn't going to make contact if he didn't get shoved. Yeah, exactly. It's so, yeah, you got to look out for yourself or your goalie too at some point. Yeah. And like, I get that Kadri is probably one of the players in the league that doesn't necessarily get the benefit of the doubt with this stuff because he's had three nasty hits in the playoffs that have suspended him for upwards of eight games at a time. Yeah. For anyone who didn't want to give Kadri the benefit of the doubt, as long as it was because purely of his on ice history, I do get that. Yes, and then, but even like, even not giving him the benefit of the doubt, you look at this play and it's just like, he literally got pushing the goalie. So I don't really know what you want him to do. Um, yeah, just, just what it is, right? He's yeah, gonna exactly. And then uh, after the game, um, Bennington threw a water bottle at him, I think, which kind of went under the radar because of the rest of the stuff that went on. Um, that was Weird. Bennington is maybe the most easiest player to hate, in my opinion, in the league. He is such a crybaby. Yeah. He whines about everything, not to mention, like, he's not a good person. And, like, newsflash, I think a lot of players in the NHL, you know, are probably not great people in terms of, especially their political views and stuff. But, like, Bennington had those tweets dug up a last couple years ago or whatever from when he was in high school or maybe actually just outside high school. And his reaction to that was suck it up. It was a long time ago. It's like, no, that's, that's not, that's not the right answer to that. But um, yeah, Bennington threw a water bottle at Kadri during an interview. And then uh, Kadri's wife goes on, I was on Instagram, I think, and, and kind of just posted a bunch of stuff, just racist, heinous shit that people, death threats that people were sending to Kadri, like the police had to investigate a death threat that was sent to him and his family. <sighs> we probably, it is disgusting. Like we don't need to tell people not to do that. Anyone who listens to this podcast knows what our opinions on that are going to be. It's just absolutely disgusting. And um, you know, like it's, it's good to see Kadri uh, handle it so well and raise light to it just in terms of, you know, I think he said in his press conference where he's like, I can deal with it, but you know, there's a lot of people that look like me that are younger that might not be able to deal with it. And they have to go through the same crap every day. And that is sadly, unfortunately, very true. Um, you know, it's, there's just no other way to put it. It's just disgusting. You're not a, like, you're not a sports, you're not a good, you're not a good person at all. If you even think of doing something like that, like, yeah, yeah. Disgusting is a perfect word for it. Yeah. And you know, like I kind of understand that. So he goes on, scores the hat trick, just like absolute game of his life. It was awesome to watch in game four. And I kind of do people like some people pointed out where it's like, don't make this like some redemption arc where everything's okay now because he battled through a quote unquote adversity. He battled through racism. It's like, yes, no, I, I absolutely get that. But um, that being said, it's still better than not to see him score a hat trick in the building and just piss off all of the fans. Yeah, it was cool. And like, the reason Kadri's so likable is because he's so hateable when he's not on your team, but God, is he likable when he is on your team. Oh, 100%. And then the other big thing about this was head coach uh, Craig Berube of the St. Louis Blues, when asked about the comments made towards Kadri, went, no comment, which is just the most idiotic thing. And then he backtracks and claims, oh, I'm not on Twitter, so I didn't know about the death threat or the, the racist stuff. It's like, well, you just said no comment to sending a dude a death threat then. Like... 
it seems like the yeah, easiest like, thing to be like, yeah, we don't condone that, but racism Ruby, and death threats are bad does seem like a low bar. You would think so, right? Like it's it's an incredibly low bar, you would think, but um I don't know. I I, I just I generally don't know. And you know, people were bringing up that Barube was suspended for using a slur. Um, I didn't know about that, actually. I didn't know that until right so, now. Yeah, the reason that you probably wouldn't is because it was back in 1997. Oh, Jesus. Um, yeah, uh, it was when he was playing with the Capitals, I think. I didn't even know he was in the NHL, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good bet if someone's were coaching in the NHL. They probably played at one point, but. Yeah, yeah, or a GM or whatever. It's like a 50-50 shot that they played there. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, so that, that was another big thing, but it was just like, yeah, it was just not a good look on Barube at all. And, and again, like, maybe he didn't know, but it just kind of feels like something where then that feels like a giant error on your PR team because you know that's going to be the first question coming. Yeah, I'm pretty skeptical of that because they would have a PR team and I have that seems like something they would brief you on. I could be wrong about that, but I think it would be a fairly safe assumption that he has an idea. I feel like their PR team's not doing the right job if they're not briefing you on that, right? Like Yeah, like either they made a huge mistake or he was briefed on it. Those are the two main outcomes there. Yeah, so, yeah, that was bad. Um, you know, it's trying to put a positive light on it. It's nice that, you know, this we can't let this stuff go. You know, you got to talk about it. And uh, I know I saw Kadri promoting the Kadri Foundation where all money was going to, I think they were helping donate to people of color who couldn't afford to play hockey or something along those lines. So um, obviously a good cause. And so at least a little bit of good came out of just a disgusting situation. Um, the Avs look like a really good team, though. Yeah. I, there were people trying to hot take this into a series. It was pretty clear that the Avs are an entirely different class from the Blues the entire time, in my opinion. Yeah, this was a series because the St. Louis Blues and, honestly, Colorado Avalanche goaltenders made it a series in opposite ways. Um, the Avs now lead the playoffs with a 60% Corsi 4 and almost 60% expected goals. And I'm pretty sure that is split evenly over the two series. Uh, yeah. It is just like domination. Yep. They're better than whoever they play, even if point comes back and they play the Tampa Bay Lightning. Yeah. And I, I know I saw Dom had the Oilers and uh, Avs series at 75 25 for the Avs, which seems about right. That's like, so aggressive for a. <laughs> Conference, conference final final. series. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, if point is back, what do you think the Lightning and Rangers? I Granted, the Rangers have Shesterkin, which will probably balance it out, but like the Lightning well, it might probably be 70 30 too. Say, because yeah, the, the, it's not like the Lightning, like the Lightning have a goalie that is, you know, the, Shesterkin is up, going up against one of the only goalies in the league that you can make an argument is just as good as him. And at least, you know, what we've seen in the playoffs from Vasilevsky, where he's just been a beast for three years yeah. running, right? Like, when Vasilevsky has sample size, which Sisterkin doesn't too, from a pure modeling perspective. 
Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, it, but um, back to this Colorado one, it's uh, that's an aggressive one. And, but it, it seems about right. Like, um, yeah, it does. This it is McDavid versus Goliath. Shout out CJ for that uh, tagline. Cause I think that is a perfect description of this series. Literally people have been trying to pin this as McKinnon versus McDavid. You know, the two giants going forward. It's like, Hey, I'm not, McKinnon's not the best player on his own team. I think we need to say that now. Um, that doesn't mean he is yep. not absolutely phenomenal. But yep, Kale it's McCarr, a compliment to the rest of the team, not a takeaway from him, but it's still true. Kale McCarr is so good. And Rantanen, granted, Rantanen hasn't been very good in these playoffs, but is amazing as well. Um, you know, Landis God, Cotteries looked great in these playoffs. Like, it's just the depth of this team is so amazing. And it's going to be really interesting to see what they do against McDavid. And, and that line, especially, because I would assume they're going to probably keep that line together. Um, the one spot I'd be concerned about if I was the Avs is Darcy Kemper. And that's because he's looked like crap over the past couple games. Yeah, and you're here with him now. You basically just have to hope he figures it out. Or you're yeah. 65% and- Corsi for whatever they end up with is good enough to win with anyways. Yeah, and granted, I think there's a couple things going for them in that Kemper's a pretty good bet, I think, to at least figure it out, to even just be average, you know? Like, that's the thing. This team is so good. They just need him to play, like, a 9-15 goalie, not 8 He can win. He can win his Niemi Cup. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's how good this team is. And the other thing I'd say is, well, if you don't have confidence in Darcy Kemper, look to the other side. How much confidence do you got in Mike Smith, the – put up a 930 for the third series in a row well that's the thing too like if like is frank coos versus mike smith a coin flip never mind kemper yeah probably so <laughs> yeah like that's that's the two biggest things um i think this will be a good series though like i as long as mike smith is playing I, that's the biggest thing though like because Mike Smith, I was going to say, if Mike Smith just plays average, I do think that, A, McDavid's good enough, he's going to steal at least one game on his own. The way he's playing, it might be two. And I do think that even though this Avs depth is very good, I don't think they're, like, going to outscore their problems. So I do think this is one of the teams where Edmonton can probably get away with, like, having just fine depth where it's, like, you just need them to play to evens and then you got to have win the battle up top, which isn't easy. But if you have McDavid and Dreisaitl on your team and you feel better about it than not. Yeah, this is. But like. It's making like, the best out of a worse situation, but you're right about that. Cause like, it's not good. But... No, the, the big thing I think if you're an Edmonton fan is Jack Johnson looks like he's going to play all six or all how many ever of these games. And that is a very good thing for them. Yeah. hundred Another example of a smart team, not magically making someone who sucks good. Yeah, exactly. And like that Sam Gerrard injury is a huge loss because it forces him back in the lineup. So, um, you know, I, I do think that, you know, now a move like the Josh Manson move or whatever looks at least a little smarter where, you know, you're probably if Jack Johnson's your fourth defenseman versus Josh Manson, you're probably panicking a little bit. Um, but it's still like McCarr is going to play close to half the game with Taves probably right by his side. And if not, they could choose to split up McCarr and Taves and they can both play almost half a game, right? And then it's just going to be like 
a Johnson and Johnson pair, basically with Eric and Jack, um, you know, probably playing bottom pair minutes. And that's what I think if you're Edmonton, you really need to exploit. Yeah. Um, yeah. You basically just have to get McDavid every single second you possibly can. Yeah. And like they, they're going to ride McDavid. Like he's going to be playing. What do you think the P in a 60 minute game? What do you think he tops out at for an ice time in a single game? The series is, I bet you it's, if I put the over under at 26 minutes and 18 seconds. Tops out, I might go over. I think he's going to average like 25 minutes a game in the series. I, I agree. I think if, especially like any close game, I bet you he's playing upwards of 26 minutes. Yeah. And then it'll just be whether the game, you know, is maybe a two or three goal swing one way or the other is maybe when you see it tone it down just to save him for the other games. Yeah. If they're ever getting shelled, it'd be like a crime to play him more than they have to. Because yeah. any close game, you need him like literally playing as if he's a number one defenseman every other shift. Yeah, the Avs have Jack Johnson apparently paired with Josh Manson as their second pair right now, and I don't understand that. That is epic. <laughs> Jack Johnson is on the second pair of a team who betting markets imply is the best team of our lifetime. How sweet is that? Oh, and like. It feels like it'd be such an easy fix, too. Like, I know Taves and McCarr are so good together, but slide Taves down to play with Manson, slide Byram up to play with McCarr, and have a Johnson Johnson third pair. Honestly, I don't know their prospects well, but I have to imagine they have someone in the AHL who's better than Jack Johnson on that third pair, too. You would think so. And, like, the other thing is Ryan Murray's hurt, too. I don't know how long he's out for. Maybe you're just yeah, afraid that one's he just comes bad back. Luck. I didn't even know he was hurt. Is there – I feel bad for not knowing this. Is there a timeline on him or no? I don't actually know that one either, to be honest. Let me look it up quick. But, like, you think, like, as soon as he's, like, even 80%, he would be back in. Yeah. Yeah, like, most of the time people playing hurt – actually, sorry. All of the time people playing hurt is stupid. Uh, mostly because it's negative EV on the ice. This might be one of those times where it's actually positive EV to play a guy who's hurt. Yeah, like upper body injury blocked in a shot on his forearm. In- interesting. They were saying he wasn't expected to be in the lineup for the Blues, but he was – so he might even be back. So that would be very good because he's been medically – he was medically cleared on May 17th. So that was at the start of the Blues series. So if he's back for next season, uh, series, that would be huge for this team because that means you don't need to rely on Jack Johnson. Yeah, that would be huge. Do you remember when Chris was on and he said something to the effect of top-line players don't actually tend to beat up on each other well? It's the mainly bottom. just yeah. they absolutely massacre the bottom of the lineup. Like This would be literally the logical extreme of that sentence if we get to see Jack Johnson against McDavid, Dreisaitl, and Kane. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, it makes sense because it's like, and that's why it's like when people talk about how important home ice is, it's like it tends to get overstated. But if you can slide McDavid on against the fourth line and Jack Johnson or whatever, it's like, yeah, no, that probably will go a long way. Yeah. Well, and it's, yeah, yeah, it's aggressively overrated, I believe. But 
I think there's probably something to be studied or done where it, the more of your value is in a specific matchup or line, the more helpful it is. And there's no team where that's more true than Edmonton. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'll go, I think the abs do win this. I'm going to go abs in six. I think McDavid steals at least one or two. Smith might steal one, but I think Smith will probably cost them one or two as well. So I can go abs and six to the better team, but I, I think McDavid will put up a fight because he's just playing so damn good not to. Yeah, that's fair. I'm going to go abs and five, bet on Mike Smith and McDavid stealing one. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so the game just wrapped up. Uh, the New York Rangers beat the Carolina Hurricanes six to two. There was an empty netter in there. Uh, New York had this one locked down. Ranto go went down with an injury in game seven, about halfway through. Um, I apologize. I don't know the backups. Uh, it's Peter Kochkev. I, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. Koch, I'm going to stop. Um, their young 22-year-old who had played about six games and Canes fans had thought was the future. He looked horrible. Um, hey, he got shown. Yeah, he let in a couple really weak goals and Carolina just could not fight back. So Carolina finishes these playoffs at a seven and one at home and oh and six on the road. Not a single road victory. They lose in seven. Um, I'm not gonna lie, like the Rangers played well in this series. I didn't think the Rangers got like dominated in the series by any means. This wasn't just a circuit stealing games or anything. Yeah, Shisterkin didn't hurt, but this was a far more encouraging showing from the Rangers than barely beating Louis Domingue in the Penguins while missing Sid for a game. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like, and I mean, to be fair, like they won game, um, game six, they won five, two, and they got a shot 39 to 25. I think it was, but at the same time, like they had a two goal lead 10 minutes into the first, a three goal lead three minutes into the second. And they were just kind of clinging onto that for the entire time. Right. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And that gets to the point where it's like, (laughs) you do have just Irkin. Holding yeah. on for game life isn't exactly out of the like crazy and that's yeah. Game five, they got dominated. It was the shots were 34-17. That was uh, a non-contest, really. And then um game four was 31-28 in favor uh like the shots. Like it was clo- it was a close game. And again, like that was one where the Rangers took uh, a three-goal lead heading into the third and just kind of played defensively to to hold that, which it's just kind of how hockey's played, right? Like right, rightfully or wrongfully, that's what happens. Um, so yeah, like I, I wouldn't say they were great this series or anything. Um, they're going to be underdogs against Tampa, rightfully so. Um, but yep. this was definitely more encouraging than yeah, beating Pittsburgh with a third string goalie and no Crosby for half the series or whatever. Um, Adam Fox is, I think it was it was Lambert on the Puck Soup podcast this week talking about how it's like kind of crazy that we're in a world with so many good defensemen that he's not just universally considered a top three defenseman every year. Like he's not, he's probably not going to be on many people's Norris ballots this year and he didn't have an amazing year or whatever, but he's up to 18 points down the postseason and looked really good this series. Yeah. It's been huge because Panarin, like the Rangers are kind of three players and one of them hasn't been that good. Yeah. If you told me- been amazing to make up for it. I say if you told me, to, which is really the, all that matters. If you told me the Rangers were a forward defenseman and goalie carrying this team, I would have been, oh, nice. So it's Fox, Shesterkin, and Panarin. And you go, no, it's Zabanajed. 
uh, Fox and Panarin or uh, Shesterkin carrying this team. It's like, oh, okay, interesting. And and the yeah. power play too. Like this is this power play is deadly. Yep, and that's, that's how they lived all year, right? It was mm-hmm. save Shesterkin at five on five, and then the power play can can eat. Yeah, exactly. Which like isn't uh, isn't a sustainable thing for super long, but we've seen teams sustain it for a year. Yep, as long as you have Hall of Fame level goaltending, which is <laughs> not that, yeah. repeatable at all, unless you're the Rangers, apparently, <laughs> then uh, then it works. Just trying to think when this series would have started. I need to go back to May fourteenth. Yeah, like that for the Canes, like it's a disappointing end. Um, you kind of got beat by honestly, the rookies look really good in this, or the, the, the young guys, I should say. Like, we've given uh, rightfully so guys like Cheadle, Lafreniere, and Kako a lot of shit. Um, you know, they were some of their better forwards. Cheadle and Lafreniere were the only two forwards over 50% Corsi four, uh, and expected goals for that matter. Cheadle lead, led the team in both with a 55 expected goals rate. Um, 55%, I should clarify, I guess. Um, the depth of this team is still an issue, though. Like, Barkley Goudreau rocked a 10% course expected goals for the percentage this series. Yeah. And that's... Granted, that, that was through, like, 28 minutes of five-on-five play. But... True. But, like... And, like, even... I'm... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, like, I know they're banged up, but, like, you're in the big league now. You're playing Tampa Bay Lightning. You need, yeah, you like need a lot just, of things to go right to people. Yeah, that's not it's not gonna be good enough to use that as an excuse, you know. Like um I'm just realizing I had game seven of the pens in there as well. So I'm trying to adjust that right now. Um there we go. Uh yeah, like even um Frank Vetrano played 90 minutes at five on five in the series at a 31% expected goals rate. Kevin Rooney, 52, 26%. Ryan Reeves played 70 minutes, 69, nice. 35%, not nice. And then this is where you get really in the issue. Chris Kreider played 88 minutes at five on five and rocked a 37% expected goals rate. Yeah, that's bad. So you were going to need the guys to keep shooting like they were. And Cheadle's numbers actually get better when you take that game seven pens out. He's up to 57%. So Lafreniere, Kako, and Cheadle were the best three forwards in terms of controlling play. Uh, Savannah Jed popped off on the score sheet and that, that power play did as well. But um, I think Andre Miller had a really good uh, series, if I'm not mistaken as well, which is encouraging. I think if you're the Rangers, he's a sneaky good player. Um, yeah. I'm just like, he's the let, best of their young players. Yeah. I mean, like he, I mean, I'm assuming Adam Fox isn't included in that young player group. Yeah, of the young like question marks because Fox. Yeah, um, yeah, like he had uh, like second among and like the defense kind of got caved in as well. But like that, I think that just shows how good like Adam Fox was that he posted a forty-seven percent expected goals rate. Um, here's the list for the rest of the defense for the series: 43, 42, 40, 33, 30. Uh, Justin Braun, Brandon, Brandon Schneider got caved in. It's a seven-game series; anything can happen. The more I look at this, unless the model heavily weights Shesterkin, which fair enough, it wouldn't shock me if Tampa's like 75-25 in terms of uh, probability. 
Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, also because you're, I, I get you have Shishin, but you're going against like a historically good finishing team, historically elite team. So that, I don't know how the effects end up canceling each other, but like you've got Stamkos and Kucherov instead of Svechnikov, but there's not that. Yeah, and like even like anywhere that like anywhere that you want to say New York looks good, it's like well Tampa matches that, you know. And net, it's like Shostak had absolutely had the better year, but yeah, Vasilevsky has sample size. Like I think it's probably even if you said that these two washed each other out in terms of how well they played, that probably wouldn't be shocking, right? Like you know, like one one could edge the other way out, um, but you know, if like they both just put up nine thirties or whatever, that wouldn't be shocking. On the blue line, yes, you have Adam Fox. Well, that Victor Edmund guy is not too bad at hockey. Yeah, and the rest of the decor around him is way better. Yeah, and then up front, it's like Braden Point. With no Braden Point, that might make things interesting. But it's like, yeah, for the, the, the power play, New York's has been good, but it's not like Tampa's can't be devastating as well because you're taking Kucherov over Panarin. You're taking yep. a healthy point over Zabanajad. Now, the injury throws a wrench into this for sure, but like – I don't know. Like, you're probably is Sorelli versus Sabanajed? Maybe gives Sabanajed the edge, but that could be a coin toss. At five on five, Sorelli gets a gigantic edge mm-hmm. in that. Yeah, it just kind of, I think Sabanajed's <laughs> shooting talent kind of makes up for it. Yeah. Yeah, and his power play prowess and stuff. But, but like, I- then you go, like, maybe a better matchup for that is Steven Stamkos versus Sabanajed. Yeah. Yeah. Because Stamkos is similar player. He's just better better at everything than Zabanajad is. Which yeah, is I mean... Stamkos is... I think they're equally as underwhelming at driving play. Like, Stamkos, I don't think really... I haven't looked at his play driving numbers this year, but he's kind of just got to be stapled against it, like, with a good player at all times to kind of make that work, it feels like, but still, like... Yeah. His RIPM numbers are better than you'd think, but you know damn well he's used very carefully. Yeah, but then, like, Sorelli's matching up against, like, Ryan Strom? Or, like, I guess then in the, maybe in this year's it's Phil Chidal or, like, Capo Gacko? Like, all right, I'll take that matchup if I'm Tampa. Yeah, Tampa's more than happy to take that matchup. Like, I'm trying to think. I, I feel like I've so – one of the big trends I, – I haven't listened back to the podcast, but I've been – it's obviously fresh enough in my mind where it's, like – I think there's been a couple times this postseason for sure, but just a general postseason where we get really caught up in how little four to seven games are. Yep. Well, that's a problem with the playoffs, right? Yeah. And like the, the best example to me of that was you and I were both like, I don't know how the St. Louis Blues beat the Minnesota Wild and it happened relatively easily. It's like, easily, oh, yeah, a team yeah. can just not play great for six games or whatever. And the other team can play good for six games, but like if both teams bring their A game here, the Rangers are gonna have to pray that the refs are keep calling penalties and that Shesterkin puts up a 940, basically. Yeah, a hundred percent. This is I was watching uh the Patriots versus Falcons NFL turning point. 
point. And maybe this is a cautionary tale against lines like this because of the way it turned out. But it was like, if the Falcons play their best, the Patriots can't beat them or whatever. If Tampa Bay Lightning are at 90 to 100%, they cannot lose this series. No, like aside from a God mode performance in net one way or trash the other way, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's just the classic caveat because we have to deal with these small samples in hockey. Yeah, exactly. Like It's not like anyone can predict Shesterkin putting up, even if it's as good as you think. Like, if he puts up a 970 and wins the game in four, like, just like Vasilevsky did this past, like, what was that? What did I say? 985, I think it was, or something stupid like that? Like, if one of these goalies does that either way, it's like, yeah, well, you can't guess that. Yeah. Yeah, or exactly. You can't. It doesn't, sorry, it doesn't make you smart if you do guess that, I should say. Yeah, and it's also like, because you do have to say it because it is intensely possible and even more possible than people who think about probabilities all day probably would guess off the top of their head. But like, it's it's almost a moot point just to be like, in hockey, well, if this goalie puts up a 970, his team's going to win. Yeah, it... Um... I, and I don't want to relate it back to football too much, but I think that's obviously people know that we love football. I was listening to a PFF podcast from, I think it was two weeks ago. I think it was Austin Gale that joined um, on the, the one and they were doing basically one major reason that will sink every team. And this is the second year they did it. And the, they made a caveat this year because last year, literally 80% of the teams was quarterback. They went quarterback. Yeah. It's not good enough. And if it's bad, they're screwed. It's like, well, yes, you can say that about every team. Yeah. And that's the exact same or thing. Or if Patrick Mahomes gets hurt or whatever. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, Exactly. Right. It's like, oh, they don't have depth in that position. It's like, yeah, no one does. It's like, that's the exact same thing in the NHL where it's like, you could say one fatal thing that might sink this team is goaltending. It's like, well, yes, you can say that about all 32 teams. It does not matter who's in net. So yeah, it is just a bit of a moot point to be like, oh, well, if this goalie plays good and this one plays bad, it's going to flip. But you know, at least it, it is fair to acknowledge that these are two of the best goalies going head to head. Yeah. So yeah, um, you you want Shesterkin as your guy, but God, this might be tough on him. Yeah, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'll go. I want to say Lightning in six, but I feel like a cop doing both the same in the game. So I'm gonna go Lightning in five. I guess. I just. Unless Shesterkin goes God mode, I don't really see how this series goes super long. Yeah, I'll go Lightning in six. That feels that feels safe. I think That's probably I do think, the most likely outcome per yeah, bet and stuff. I think I I think Shesterkin will steal at least one game, and I think the 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 Rangers power play is just so good that they're going to steal another. Or like even not even just their power play, but like Chris Kreider, Savannah Jet will just streak down and score a goal at five on five out of nowhere, right? Like, just like they did against the Canes a couple of times. Yeah. So, um, the two that I, I just realized, we kind of forgot to go, where do the Blues go from here? Um, there's an interesting one because they have everyone locked in for another year, basically. Um, Scott Pernovich? Butchering his name for sure. I'd never heard of this guy before, and he's playing like power play one for them in the playoffs. 23-year-old left-hand defenseman. He's an RFA this year. I'm assuming... He'll probably be due some kind of a raise. I don't know what that is off the top of my head. I apologize. Um, But other than that, like they're losing Nick Letty. Maybe they'll re-sign Callie Rosen to like a cheap deal or whatever. They don't have much to do this offseason. I feel like they're just going to run it back with the team. And actually, this guy's pretty good. 
Yeah, his AHL numbers are bad. 22 points in 17 NHL games, 6 in 19 NHL. That's pretty good. Um, so he'll probably get a bit of a raise, but they can afford that, I think. Yeah, they have 9.7 mil. They're going to be probably a team to look at to see. And then Billy Huso's the other big question mark with them. What do, what do they do with them? Um, they're a team that could, you know, make a splash one way or the other. You know, obviously they signed Buchnevich last year. O'Reilly and Tarasenko were in the last year of their deal at 7.5 mil. I kind of wonder if they try and make one last push at it. Like, I think O'Reilly will get re-signed just because he's the captain. I could see him taking, honestly, probably less than he makes now. He probably could get more than that, I would assume, on the open market. But he kind of seems like he likes playing in St. Louis. But uh, Tarasenko feels Yeah, he's like won a- his cup there, too. Mm-hmm. Exactly, right? Tarasenko feels like a goner after this year, though. So that's going to be curious if – do you look to move him this year knowing he's probably gone in the offseason, next offseason? Or do you try and run it back with a team that they're okay, but like the peak for this team is what always going to be second or third best in their own division and nowhere near as good as the abs. Yeah. hundred percent. Like I think they're going to do what Calgary did basically, but just end up with way worse odds at making any real noise. Yeah. And like the division, well, it's hard. You can't say the division sucks because Colorado's so good, but outside of Colorado, the division if really is. They want one. They can almost guarantee themselves a playoff spot next year. Yeah, like Nashville, I don't like Nashville. I see regressing. Um, Nashville's going to get worse and was already bad. Minnesota's about to eat a cap crunch like we haven't seen before. Um, Dallas is getting older. Yeah, well, Minnesota's going to eat that cap crunch and still might be the odds-on second favorite. To yeah, exactly. But, like, that's that's how open it is, right? Winnipeg, who knows with them? Like, it kind of feels like they're doomed or destined for at least a little bit of a step back. And, yeah, um, or even – they were kind of bad this year. Oh, they weren't good at all. They need, to, they need to step forward significantly without adding much. Yeah, like, it kind of feels like – it feels like – Shifley and or Wheeler might be on their way out the door this uh, offseason. Yeah, so, and that kind of a shakeup could be huge. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't then, probably make them better immediately. No, exactly. And then Law Coyotes. Yeah, so, they're probably actively tanking for Bedard. So, yeah, so yeah, it's a very open spot. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Uh, Carolina, uh, another interesting one. This was this kind of felt like their year to go with it, but I I'm gonna be curious to see how they handle their so they have 19.3 million dollars in cap space right now. But Martin Nikash needs a new contract. Uh, I'm assuming Trocheck is probably gonna walk. Um, and then on the yeah. blue line, the big question is what do you do with Anthony or Tony D'Angelo? Yeah, and if they're letting Hamilton walk, thinking they could just kind of moneyball that position, I assume they'd do the same with Tony D. Although he's an RFA, so I guess they would have to. Yeah, exactly. So that'll be the big interesting spot. And then, yeah, they're going to have to figure out how to rework the depth up front because uh, they have a couple guys moving. I'm assuming Nikash will be back in some capacity. But, like, if you give D'Angelo, a, even if it's only for two years, at like $4 million or $5 million or whatever, and then – what, I don't know. What like, do you think? Nikash would get four mil. I can pull up evolving hockey real quick. I have no yeah, idea how to, how to evaluate give, that kind of player. 
they could probably bridge in for super cheap as long as it's like a one or a two year contract. He does feel like the one, like the typical, yeah, it's okay. His projected term is two years, 4.1 mil. Yeah. If they went Even up still, they're projected cap space and 20 mil. They're already out of half of that if you want yeah. to resign D'Angelo and Nika. Exactly. That's what I was trying to get to. And then, so you need to find probably four more depth forwards. Um, and Ethan Bear is going to need a new contract as well. I doubt he'll be super expensive, but but he'll eat up another two mil. Yeah, his projected term is three by 2.8. So if you round up and say, let's say 13 mil for the three of those guys, maybe a little, maybe say 12 even. Um, you're suddenly at seven and a half mil or so to fill out the rest of your roster. And it's not impossible or anything. It's just, I have a hard time seeing them get better than what the roster is right now. And a lot of that comes from like, you're paying a guy who's right now your fourth C in Cockney 4.8 million dollars. For no reason. Yeah. Like, it'll yeah, be- they're, they're not in a horrible spot, but they'll have to be creative. For sure. It's just one of those things where it's like, they're not in a bad spot. It's just, and I mean, granted, I think they might be looking at their division and being, well, Washington's only getting older. Who knows what Pittsburgh's going to be after this year? Um, the Rangers are good, yeah, but tough. but now, like, what if the Rangers do something stupid and double down on grid or whatever? Um, the Flyers are taking a, a rebuild approach. The Devils feel like they're still a year or two away from being any kind of threat. Um, and the Jackets are in a bit of a retool here still as well. And then the Islanders are the Islanders, right? So it's like maybe they're looking at their division and be like, oh, we can take a couple of years where, you know, we can just try and play our time and stay in the Metro and then hopefully get to a conference final. And then we'll figure out what the hell to do with the Atlantic division juggernauts. But they're in a good, like they're in another team. It feels like a lot of the teams that are eliminating the second round are just like, yeah, they're going to be good again next year. Um, they, but maybe they just kind of are who we think they are. Mm-hmm. And like, if you told me at the beginning of this year, this Canes team went seven games in a round two and just barely missed out on third round, I'd be like, yeah, that seems very reasonable for this team. Yeah, that's a pretty fair outcome given their talent. Things break right. They could probably go in a cup run. And if uh, things don't quite break right, which I'd argue they didn't in this series, yeah, that makes sense for them as a team. Yeah, exactly. So um, the other couple of things we got to talk about here quick is uh, we're not going to go, we won't uh, really touch on Rick Bonus and the Dallas Stars uh, parted ways, I guess. Um, I, it sounds like Rick Bonus wants to keep coaching and Dallas was like, yeah, we're going to go somewhere else. Uh, Dallas will be an interesting team. I don't really have much to say on that. I didn't think Bonus was uh, a great, actually, you know, it's kind of funny. People absolutely hated uh, Rick Bonus in terms of, a team making the playoffs. They thought like any Dallas fan I heard was just complaining about his line combos and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I don't really need to talk about Dallas tonight, but um, interesting. I don't have any opinions on that, man, if we're being honest. Yeah. I was a little surprised given the results. He's got mostly good. Yeah. It's at least given their talent level, they're not world beaters. No, but like, is sneaking into a wild card where you backdoored your way by losing to Arizona really impressive in a division we just went over is garbage? No, but if you hire Joel and Bill, do you do any better than that? Maybe. I could see that. I mean, you probably do better. 
I can see that team being a three seed and overtaking St. Louis, but yeah. Like he was like scratching. Who was it down the stretch? Like one of their actual like decent forwards. And it's just like, why are we doing this? Um, Blanking on his name. I am pulling up their cap friendly right now. Um, But yeah, I don't know. Like everyone just seemed to kind of like, it's not like, I don't think he was like a horrible coach or anything like that, but I don't think he was particularly good. Oh, it was Guryanov that he was scratching. Oh yeah, he is pretty good. Yeah, I, just, I think of bonus is just like NPC four that'll probably get another coaching job somewhere and they'll coach three years there and then we'll never think about him again, kind of thing. Yeah, probably. Um, all right, let's get into some uh, contracts. There's two that we're going to talk about quick. Uh, the one is a pretty substantial contract. Brian Russ, six years, five point one million dollars, uh, staying with the Pittsburgh Penguins. A little less than I think he probably would have got on the open market. I bet you he probably could have fetched six by six from somewhere, maybe even six by seven, something like that. Um, he is 30 years old, though. Like, he's not young, which I was almost surprised to see he was 30. I thought he was like a – he's forever 25 in my mind. Yeah, it's the curse of the guys who don't enter the league till they're 25 or 26. They feel like they get old so fast. Yeah, and I, I just looked it up. So his projected cap hit with a different team in UFA would have been five by seven point six. So he got an extra year on this one, but um, took definitely a discounted AAV once. Um, yeah, and part of that's going to be the model doesn't know that he played with Crosby and Malkin for a lot, and the league is going to ding him for that. For sure, but I mean, like he also looked was like shockingly really good away from them too. Oh, yeah. Like, he is a legitimately good player, but his market value is going to be forever swayed by that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, This really makes – I don't think Malkin's coming back to the Pens this year. That will be so sad, but it looks like it's going that way. Well, and it kind of really seems like this management group is going, we are just – so the uh, Brian Russ contract has trade protection for the first three seasons. And then it ends. So he has a full no move clause for the first three seasons and then nothing at the end. So this is completely set up. So it is, we are keeping you here until Crosby's contracts up. And then it kind of seems like once Crosby's contract up, it's just going to be a free for all. Because if you remember, they offered Latang and Malkin three years at $5 million each uh, per year as well. So it all based around the Sid deal. Yeah, so it seems like they're just going, let's just go all in for the next three years while we know Crosby is still elite, and then we'll figure out what the hell to do once his, his contract's up. And that this contract directly reflects that as well. Um, his total salary starts at 6.1 for the first three years, dips to 5.1 for the fourth year, and then 3.6 for the last two. So this is a pretty movable contract, to be honest, too. If he, as long as he ages like okay, obviously, if he's like a non, like just like a player who's not doing anything you're probably going to have trouble moving this, but like, I like this deal for the Penguins in terms of just, if you're going to keep going for it now, this seems like a fine contract to sign. And I, I like that both team and player kind of went both ways where it's like, I want to stay here for the next three years, but after that, we'll see where it goes. And both parties seem to kind of understand that. Yeah. This was a surprisingly fair contract in my opinion. Like I don't think either side's laughing all the way to the bank. It just kind of got more or less what he should have. Yeah. I mean like great for us. He gets 30 mil. And again, this is a guy who didn't break into the league until he's what 25, I think. Um, yeah. 
So, like, yeah, I mean, and, and again, like, yeah, it's it's a little lower AAV-wise, but he gets an extra year than he probably would have got. Like, he probably would have been getting four or five years on the open market, I would assume. And, um, yeah, it, it just it's going to be really interesting. What were your thoughts on them offering Latang and Malkin only $5 million, quote-unquote? So Latang, it was especially egregious, which is a weird thing to have said, given what the two of them have meant to the franchise. But like Latang's legitimately playing at a high level still. Like Latang almost had 70 points this year. That was kind of nuts to me. At least jack up the term and just say we're gonna suck when this contract sucks to keep the AAB out or something. The Malkin one, I was surprised, but it's probably not as bad as it sounds on the face of it. The Malkin one, to me, is only bad because of what he means to the franchise in terms of people cling on to value. And there is some value to that, but what do we always say about smart sports franchises? We go, you idiots, you locked, like you're, you're looking too much in the past. If your only goal is to win, Giving money to guys who did stuff in the past doesn't make sense. Malkin hasn't been healthy for numbers of years. Yeah. Well, this guy Malkin played, was never even healthy as like a a superstar. He has played like seventy games. Or, he has played seventy games or more once since two thousand twelve. Yeah, yeah. He hasn't even played a full season in the past two combined. No, and like, and then he played. He played most of that season in when the COVID shortened one, or like when the COVID stopped it near the end. But then before that, like previous to that, it was uh, here. I got it. So he played forty-one this year, thirty-three last year, fifty-five. Honestly, no, never mind. So fifty-five in the year that uh, COVID stopped stuff. Sixty-eight the year before that. Seventy-eight in 2017-18, um, Sixty-two in 16-17, 57. 69, 60, 31 in the lockout shortened season. So that's still, they played, what, 48 games? So he still missed 25% of the year that year. Like, this guy, he hasn't been healthy. And, like, granted, he has still been really solid when he's been healthy, but he hasn't been peak of getting Malkin. No. And, like, all of his statistics, including the fact that he has amazing priors and, like, he's still been a great offensive play driver. The puck hasn't gone in the net a ton. And I would be skeptical that he's just forgotten how to finish or whatever, although age is definitely a part of it. But, like, his statistical profile is exactly that of a high-risk, high-reward player with insane upside. But he could literally – like, you could literally just be signing an LTIR contract too. Mm-hmm. It's and like, like not – it's easier than you'd think to not fault a team for not wanting that contract. This contract doesn't – people don't freak out about this contract if they offer this a year ago, right? In terms of, like, if he was a UFA a year ago because the Backstrom contract and the OB contract hadn't been signed at that point. Yeah, Washington really put Pittsburgh in a bind here. Because, yeah. like, the Malkin contract, he is the potential to be a guy who signs, like, cheap in UFA, and that's, like, the one contract you can point to that wins you a cup because he stays healthy. Like, there is that upside. But also, there's – yeah, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just saying, like, yeah, imagine he goes to Florida for, like, three mil on a one-year deal or something like that. Yeah, and he puts up – say he plays 60 games, but he scores 70 points on a $3 million contract or whatever. But the flip side is 
you might be signing a guy to a three to five year contract that you're getting 30 games out of total. Mm-hmm. And but that's not out of the question either. And that's not even just like the generic injury or stuff. Like this is a pattern with Malcolm, which is really yeah. sad because we've been robbed of a lot of them, but this just it's, is what it is. Right. Exactly. And like, even worse to that is like, it's not even just a guarantee you could LTIR that contract because it might be a thing where it's like he takes off half the year, but then comes back and plays hurt for half the year. Now you just have this half of what he used to be guy trying to gut it out, but it's like, this isn't worth anyone's money. So yeah. Yeah. Like to me, the, the Latang one was, and I, and we might've even talked about this, I think last episode, but to me, the Latang one was way worse than the Malkin one. Um, I, I don't blame Malkin for not accepting that either, especially looking at the Backstrom one. Like you're, t- he's looking at me, like you're telling me Backstrom, like, had an extra year because Baxter was what four by 7.5 or eight or something like that, or yeah. five maybe even. So it's like more term and way more AV. Yeah, I think it was five by like 7.8, maybe. Does that sound right? Yeah, it was five by, five by seven something. Cap friendly this real quick. Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm looking up right now too. But yeah, like you're Malkin sitting there being like, you're telling five me five by 9.2. 9. <laughs> yeah, okay. Oh, so. Man. Like, if I'm Malkin's agent or whatever, I'm telling him not to accept it either. Yes, exactly. It makes sense. But it's like, I also understand from a Pittsburgh perspective where it's like, we're already kind of like budget constraints. We want to go with it for Sid. We just can't afford to give him another $10 million or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Because like, I think whoever, even if it's Pittsburgh, if this next Malkin contract goes well, it's because he signs on a team who's a contender who knows who they are and they can provide him support for the time when Malkin can't do everything by himself. And I'm not a hundred percent sure that's Pittsburgh at the moment. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, we're going pretty long here. We're well over an hour, but uh, I want to touch on the Mark Giordano signing and then Spezza retiring quick too. Uh, the Jew signing is a little wild. Uh, you and I had heard reports of this from, you know, people that we know, um, that were saying, like, even I feel like back in January, uh, definitely won't say the name of the person, but um, they, they're they probably, they know who they are if they're listening. Um, but, like, back in, like, January, there was reports of, like, oh, yeah, like, they really, like, both call Blackwell and Giordano. Apparently, Giordano really wants to play in Toronto. And like, when they traded for him or whatever, I was like, yeah, okay. Like, I could see Giordano taking, like, a two-by-two two or whatever and being nice. Like, I'm sure he would have fetched two-by-like four on the open market or something like that. When or, I saw- like, a one-by-five. Yeah, when I saw two by 1.6, I went, oh, 1.6 is a pretty good AAV. And then I was it like... It was total? Yeah, and then I saw it was total. I was like, what? Like, so he's literally just doing the Jason Spezza one on defense. And I would argue that Giordano at this point is probably better than Spezza too. Not like... Like, it's hard to kind of go forward and backward. But like, Giordano can be play second pair absolutely when needed for... You don't want him there playing probably all year, but... For stretches of a time, it's not an issue. Yeah, when push comes to shove, you could play there. It would make no sense to play him like that all season, I don't think, especially with Sandy. But like you could make an argument he was their best defenseman when he got there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And like, so 800K, like you're signing a guy who can slide up and down your lineup, just no brainer. Um, the one thing I did want to discuss, and I think we'll probably get into this if we do a least based podcast in, in a week or two or whatever, but how much credit does Dubas get for this? Because on one hand I go, it seems like the player went, I'm going to do whatever I can to take a discount here, which 
I don't think you should get a ton of credit for. On the other hand, you should absolutely, in my opinion, get credit for building a team and a culture that people want to actually stay around. Yeah, because like, I think people can go too far the other way to be like, well, you just auto get to sign these contracts. Like, Well, for most of our life, the Leafs didn't get to automatically sign mm-hmm. these contracts. Exactly. So like, it's not nothing. It's not like this is proof that Dubas is a great negotiator or whatever, because it was mostly gifted to him, but it's not nothing on his part, I, I don't think. I think it just kind of fits what we kind of know where it's like, I don't think it really tells us anything about his negotiating, but it definitely tells us about not even just him, but the organization as a whole and how they really transformed. Yeah. In terms of just being, and I don't know, like obviously it's hard to say as outsiders, but like it, it just, every story you hear out of Toronto is like, yeah, how much like, the team puts money into their facilities and stuff like that, which makes sense because they're the richest team, but they didn't always seem to do that. You know, like 10, 15 years ago, it wasn't exactly the same way. And it wasn't, it feels like it's more on a personal level too now. Right. And it's like, obviously it's small stuff, but it's like, even like when um, Tavares got hit last year, like Dubas went rushing down to the ambulance or whatever. It's like from everything I've kind of heard of just reading reports and stuff, it's like that stuff seems to go a long way. And I do think, that is just kind of more proof that it's like, yeah, the guys like Spezza and Giordano want to stay around and would take significant discounts to go do it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And there's like a, there's like a vote with your wallet kind of thing there too, where obviously we don't get to talk to Jason Spezza or Mark Giordano about this, but he's implicit, implicitly saying that, right? Mm-hmm. Like he wouldn't have accepted this contract if it wasn't a likable place to be very clearly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like it doesn't matter if he, like his estimate career earnings are $61 million. If it's a shit place to play or whatever, or a shit organization or whatever, you're not taking an 800 K contract just because, especially yeah, when you could go earn way more. Yeah, exactly. The coyotes never get to sign this contract. No, at least in so, the current state. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, exactly. And like, Again, obviously having the high-end talent the Leafs do help goes a long way to that, right? So yep. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> you know the top two bio candidates right now are on uh Cap Friendly in terms of who's been done the most? God, it's one of them Tavares. <laughs> it's Peter Morazic and then John Tavares. <laughs> what a list of this. Yeah, like, Pete, Peter Morazic, John Tavares, Sergey Bobrovsky, Milan Lucic, Sean Manahan, Zach Cassian, Nick Foligno, Colin White. One of those players are not like the others. <laughs> John Tavares. Uh, um, that's tough. Yeah, and then the other piece of Leafs news was uh, Jason Spencer retires and he is going into special advisory or assistant to the GM role. Um that's kind of what Justin Williams is in Carolina right now. Basically just sounds like he gets paid to kind of be around the guys and give uh, Dubas some opinions on either guys he played against or what he's seeing out there. Um, definitely just kind of seems like a scenario where Spets and the Leafs didn't see a long-term fit for him playing wise, but he wants to stay with the organization. Yeah. Well, that seems great. Great career for Spets. Super likable. So my theory about Spezza, I didn't really think about this until he retired and all the nice things everybody was saying. Does Jason Spezza have the highest approval rating of any player in the league? It's got to be up there. Because he's not quite good. Like, people hate Crosby just because 
is good or whatever. Like Spezza was never, or at least recently, has not even been good enough to hate him because he's that good or whatever. But he's just like a really likable dude, and he's good enough to like too. And he's like a great yeah. leader by all accounts. Like he's got to be close. And he also played with three different teams, two of which were rivals, which kind of helps the teams not hate him because he played on both the teams, right? Like, yeah, yeah, because instead of Leaf fans hating Spezza because he was a Leaf killer, Leaf fans love him. Yeah, and like some Sense fans are a little salty that he went to Toronto and did all that stuff for Toronto, but most people are just like, I mean, good for him, I guess. We're just going to remember him as the Sen who went point per game over 600 game play. Yeah, hundred percent. Because those first fans you mentioned are just wrong. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know why you would be salty about that at all. And pretty much every Suns fan I see is just like, oh yeah, he's. We all love Jason Spencer, as they should. Franchise legend. Yeah, exactly. So, um, only sad thing is he was at nine hundred ninety-five career points. Couldn't quite get to one thousand. That kind of sucks, but um, it is what it is. So. Uh, yeah, I don't really have much more to say on that other than, you know, awesome career for Spezza, 363 goals, 632 assists, 995 points, another 76 points in 97 playoff games. Um, great career. And, you know, uh, I'm, I'm sure he'll be pretty active around the organization. So that's good for him. Yeah, 100%. Seems like best case scenario for him and the team. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I think that'll wrap it up. Uh, thank you everyone so much for listening. As always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. Uh, you can find me, uh, my other podcast, Last Word on Sends, and you can find all that stuff at Last Word on Hockey. Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66 and theactionnetwork.com. And uh, thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you all next week.